Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 171. Very exciting. So before we get to the actual episode at hand, I wanted to give some announcements. First off, uh, September 24th in Artesia, California is the third Alpha Omega Con, which I will be a part of. I'm going to have my table there, as always, with uh, the various DVDs I'll be selling and some movie trivia and that sort of thing. Uh, but then also I'm going to be moderating uh, a couple of panels. The first will be called uh, Rethinking Horror, and that will involve friends of the show uh, Reed Lackey and Jason Eakin and uh, a couple other people that you haven't heard of, but that's okay. You will find out who they are uh, when the time comes. And then secondly, uh, I haven't come up with a name for this one yet, but it will be basically the philosophy of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Um, and that one will have uh, co-host Josh Long and Jason Eakin will be a part of that uh, as well. So I'm very excited to see uh, you know who shows up and, and uh, just to have those conversations. Um, I really love Alpha Omega Con. And if, if you are a Christian nerd living in the California, in the Southern California area, uh, come on by. It's actually very inexpensive to go. I believe it's 10 bucks uh, at the door. And I think it's $5 in advance. But they might have uh, raised the prices a little bit, but I don't think so. Uh, but yeah, so... Speaking of Reed, and then the other person on that panel will actually be his Fear of God co-host, Nathan. Uh, and they actually, uh, they are one episode deep of their podcast, The Fear of God. Uh, there will be a new episode every Tuesday, so come to morethanonelesson.com for that. The show is now on iTunes, so you can find it uh, there or on your uh, podcast app on your iPhone if you have one. So, uh, yeah, feel free to give it a listen and give some feedback. And, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited that we were able to host them, and I'm excited to see the, the movies that they cover in the future. So, uh, and then lastly, our, our new contributor, uh, Bob Connolly, recently wrote a very interesting uh, article about, I believe it's called Raiders, exclamation point. There's a, okay, so there was a Raiders of the Lost Ark, I guess you'd call it a fan film, homage or whatever you want to say, where these kids in, I think, the 80s or 90s basically decided they were going to make a shot-by-shot uh, shot remake uh, of Raiders of the Lost Ark just with them and their friends. And so it was... So a documentary has been made about that process. And uh, so that documentary is, uh, is... I think it's one of those situations where it's sort of touring the country, going from city to city. And uh, so Bob uh, got to see that and wrote about that and his own personal connection to Raiders of the Lost Ark and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I know that our, our uh, co-host today is a big fan of the Indiana Jones series. His name is Robert Hornack. Robert, how you doing? Hi, Tyler. I'm doing fine. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I, I think you and I actually went to see, or am I thinking of somebody else? We went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark we at, did. Uh, at the Arrow Theater. Yeah. It was Arrow Theater, and I remember uh, Aubrey and I, my wife, mm -hmm. we left after the first one. Right. Um, had, i got to be careful here, had Aubrey not been with me, I would have stuck around for probably mm. all three, let's be honest. Chicks, um, man. I get it. <laughs> exactly. Um but yeah, that's uh, yeah. We went to that, and I love that movie. Have you seen the uh, the, the movie that that documentary is based on? 
the, the kids version? No, I have not. I haven't either. And as, as you were talking about it, I was like, how do they recreate some of that? How do they recreate the ball? You know, the, yeah. the boulder? I don't know. Um, even the snakes? I mean, what do you do? Are they just like cardboard cutout snakes? Maybe. I don't know. That'd be I, adorable. Yeah. I want to see this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reading his article. got me excited to see it. So uh, maybe it'll, I'm sure it has maybe already come through Los Angeles or maybe not. I'm not sure. It's something uh, there. They do have a website. And so you can look it up. Um, okay. Now, Robert, you have not been, we were talking about this off air. You've not been on the show in, I think, almost two months now. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. It it's, seems like longer than that, actually, to be when honest. When last you were on, we were talking about the 50 best movies of oh, all right. time. That's right. That was fun. As, as voted by you, the listener. Um, a lot of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. I was actually thinking, and I, I believe I said this at the time, that I was thinking of going back into people's ballots and looking at the bottom 50 of hmm. of the top 100 so basically looking at the next 50 to see what like what the overall 100 100 would look like but why uh, wouldn't you do that uh i think because when you get like like 90 through 100 would probably be like things that got two or three votes i see and it's just like that barely counts but still you know. lists are fun to read they are fun to read i agree um you know you and I were talking about the recent, uh, was it the BBC? I, I can't remember who put it out, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so some group in uh, England released the, the 100 best movies of the, of the 2000s. Congratulations, uh, Lewin Davis. Absolutely. For being number 13, I think. Friend of the show, Lewin Davis? I like to think so. By the way, that reminds me, when you, when you, uh, when you reeled off Reed's name and Jason's, you said, friends of the show, Reed, and then Jason. Where and you, I'm, I've always been curious about this. What's the hierarchy of like friend of the show versus like say rotating co-host? I was I was wrong in saying uh, friend of the show in regards to Reed. He is no friend of this show. He is merely <laughs> he is merely a co-host. See, I am the host. Mm-hmm. I run all this stuff. You and know, I am in charge. You, Josh, and Reed are co-hosts. We're your lackeys. That's and he true. is your most lackey. He's the most. He's the lackiest of the bunch. Um, and then everybody that has been on the show is, well, is that true? Hang on. People that have been on, have been guests on the show more than once. More than um, once. I would say are, uh, friends of the show. Okay. People that have been on, been on only once are guests of the show. Okay. So I think that's how it works. I just came up with that now. Uh, don't hold me to that everybody. Cause it's entirely possible that the way I've talked about anybody that has been a part of the show for the last several years, uh, does not fit into that. Yeah. It just sounds like you like you have to earn your second guesting if that's a word. Yeah, that's true. I guess you could ask guests of the show. Think about that. You could totally flame out that episode and then you're never invited back. Yeah. Or you'd be like me where, you know, you've been on 19 times and then you flame out on your 20th. Okay, so here we go. I'm just trying to give go. you a segue. A That's nice a perfect segue. segue into what we want to talk about today. So, uh, last week, uh, you might have listened to me uh, get uh, angry uh, mm-hmm. about the film Sausage Party, and uh, and apparently in my response to, uh, to their views on religion and the fact that they were allegedly making a comedy, um, <laughs> see, even then, my, then I'm being mean, but... Uh, Sardonic. I, I, not sorry, sure, absolutely. Um, I promised that, hey, if you want a good religious satire, if that's what you want, just tune in. Just you wait. <laughs> and that's what this week is going to be all about. But here's the thing. 
just as Reed led our Man of Steel episode all those months ago. Yes, that was great. Um, our friend Robert is going to be sort of leading the charge on this episode. Hmm. Uh, and so where this, we were talking about religious satire. Where this initially started, this was initially going to be uh, a discussion of Monty Python's Life of Brian. Uh, which we still might do at some point, but you felt that it brought up issues and questions that were larger than than one movie. Sure. And so we are talking about religious satire, and my question for you, Robert, yes. is why are we doing religious <laughs> satire? Well, I, I remember uh, sitting around the table with you guys, and we were talking about what we're going to do, and it, it sort of like instantly burned into my brain. Like That's just something I want to talk about, because... I've enjoyed religious, satirically, satirical movies that are focused on religion. Mm -hmm. In other words, movies that are religiously satirical. Is that how? How would you say this? Religiously satirical. That sounds right. Yeah. Really? Sure. Well, <laughs> I'm not so sure. It's a lot of syllables. I'll say yeah. that. Um, and you know, at, at that moment, I was like, kind of peeling off episode or, or uh, titles in my mind. I'm like, I would, I would want to talk about that movie. Well, yeah. what about this movie? Well, how about this movie? And then I realized it's sort of like. No, I'd like to talk about the subject itself. Yeah. Um, comedy films, uh, comedy in general has been sort of the, the engine of so much of what I've enjoyed in, in, in books, in movies, virtually anything else, mm -hmm. um, TV shows that, uh, I don't know, it just seems like, it seemed like something that would be more fun to talk about in a general sense yeah. while also talking about specific movies. Yeah. And so, uh, and here we are. So, I mean, like going, going back, I, I think I may, may have mentioned this like when, on oh, my first episode, nineteen ago, um, you know, just some of the stuff that I, I that you keep track is fascinating to me. I, I like. I don't even know how many actual episodes I've done, and this is my show, you know. But uh, and if I were to ask Josh, hey, how many episodes were you a part of? I feel like it would no barely way. wake him no to ask that question. And then Reed, I'm sure, doesn't know, but you know that this is episode twenty. You no, know, there was actually something kind of uh, uh, appealing about doing something like this mm -hmm. on the 20th. So I was kind of leading up. To, I was in, in the back of my mind, I was like, maybe it'd be just kind of fun to do something fun that I want to talk about. Not that yeah. I don't want to talk about the movies that you choose as well. But I'm choosing them. But you're choosing them. And, uh, you know, so yeah, totally. It's a, so I thought, let's make it special. I'll even, sure. I'll even pitch it to Tyler. <laughs> How about this, Tyler? Let's talk about this. So then I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, well, I don't know really much about this subject. And so I'm like... Now I've got to talk about something I'm basically just learning about. And so I have to say at the very top that I am coming at this as a fan, not as an academic. Which is honestly probably for the best, given the nature of what we're discussing. Um, you know, so many Christians approach religious satire with suspicion. And, mm -hmm. you know, you'll often hear the phrase, that's not funny, or... We shouldn't be laughing about that or whatever right. it is. So the very fact that you're a fan of the, of the movies that we're going to be talking about, some of them, not all some of them, them, obviously. Some of them. Um, I feel like we're already off to a good start here because it shows, you know, maybe those who are, are not Christian and have only been exposed to the Christian view of, hey, you're not allowed to make jokes about me or, right. or, or I'm offended. Um, you know, it conveys to them that, no, it's, you know, we can have a sense of humor about right. ourselves. So I'd like to uh, just uh, real quick, just uh, I, I started to say like in my first episode, we were talking about basically my, my childhood and my teen years and the kind of things I gravitated toward. And 
um, so much of that, without really calling attention to it, was stuff that was satirical or a, a parody mm-hmm. of something else. It's like I learned about so much serious stuff by watching things that were making fun of those things, like uh, Saturday Night Live, SCTV, Mad Magazine, Cracked Magazine, David Letterman. I love thinking about David Letterman in this context because David Letterman, who was a stand-up comedian before he was a talk show host, mm-hmm. um, and had a couple of failed ones before the one the one that we know of, but he, he, he was a huge fan himself of Johnny Carson. Yeah. And Johnny Carson is the epitome of that kind of thing. It's like talk shows should be this. It's the desk. It's the seats. It's the people coming in and talking about or plugging their movies or whatever it is and being funny. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Letterman comes along and he's like the first one that's, it's like, let's take the format and kind of tweak it. Let's make fun yeah. of the format. So he does that and he's wildly successful. Comes on right after Carson over the years, Letterman is so successful at what he's doing that it actually became the norm. And now when you look at talk shows now, every single one of them is kind of yeah, a, a, a reduction of Letterman. Yeah, now it's basically, you know, stupid human tricks, but it's celebrities doing them. Right, and I'm just you know. fascinated by the fact that something that, that is basically parodic, is that a word? Um, or a parody of something, or something that's mimicking something, but wanting to kind of make fun of it at the same time, almost in a loving way, in Letterman's case, um, can then become the standard. To the point now that it's it's not merely the standard, but it's a watered-down standard. I, yep, I, am, I agree. I, am, I do not have the popular opinion on this, but uh, Jimmy Fallon seems like the nicest guy in the world, as does James Corden. Mm-hmm. Um but there is an element to what they do that bothers me tremendously um, yeah. because they have the ability to be funny, but instead there's just this element, so much of their shows, and this is not what we're talking about, but it's an opportunity to say this I love talking uh, in, about a, it. in a public forum. Um, so many, so much, uh, so much of, of each of their shows can be boiled down to, can you believe celebrities are doing this? And, right. and it's just that it's like, can you believe they're like us? Look, here's one singing karaoke. Look, we're playing a game, a board game with this other one. Hey, look. Uh, and it's just that over and over again. Or it's like, oh, li- a lip sync battle. And look, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, look how crazy right. he's being. And it's just that. And well, it's sycophantic, too. It's a little bit. Yeah. Because it's like um, because, you, you know, that in the meetings for, OK, we're going to get this person to come in and do this karaoke or yeah. or sing in this van or whatever it is. It's this is this is our way to let them know that they can come on our show and show themselves to be normal people too. Yeah. And so, but contrast that with Letterman, especially in the early years, not, not so much when he went to CBS, but back in the early NBC years, if a, if someone came on and did something goofy, if it wasn't Bill Murray, Bill Murray comes on, he's just who he is. He's a yes. force of comic you know, nature. Um, but a lot of, a lot of them would come on and it would be, there would be kind of an element of maybe they're being made fun of too. Yeah. And they come on and they, you know, they can plug something in a funny way that, that the writers of Letterman have written for them, but it still feels like the writers of Letterman are making fun of that celebrity in a, in a weird way. Just look back at some of those, you just, there's an uncomfortable feeling about those and the audience isn't laughing half the time, which I love that fact. And to the point that years ago when Letterman had Paris Hilton on right after she had just gotten out of jail, um, 
And, you know, she was trying to plug this thing. And Letterman was like, it was like, well, hang, hang on. Let's, I want to ask you about jail, <laughs> you know? And so he just kept coming back to it. And it was, it was funny. It's funny that this guy, that Letterman is kind of reverting back to what he used to be. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy, he's like the, the uncouth party guest yeah. who is asking about things that you're not supposed to ask about. Right. Uh, and I remember people at the time said that was really uncool of Letterman. Even people that would normally make fun of Paris right. Hilton said that was really uncool of him. It's like, but that's that's who he used to be. And when yeah. it comes right down to it, you know, I recognize that people come on the show in order to plug things. But at the same time, if he's if he doesn't want to do that, then yeah. let him not do that. And right. aren't you, as a viewer, more interested in her stint in right. prison than whatever to, whatever dumb things she's yeah. trying to plug? You know, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but I invite anyone who enjoys. And I don't want to like completely put down Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel, all these guys, because yeah. I mean, they're smart. They know what they're doing and they're doing it very well mm-hmm. for a certain audience. But if you, I invite you to go back and compare what you're seeing now every single night to what Letterman was doing every single night. And you'll yeah. be amazed, if you, especially if you haven't seen it before, at just how raw and uh, unpredictable yeah. the nature of the mocking is. And it's and it's coming from a guy who, when you compare just the person of Letterman to the person of Jimmy Fallon or yeah. the person of Jimmy, maybe not so much Jimmy Kimmel, but um, they all seem like frat guys that got a show. Yeah. Letterman, even in the early years, seemed like a, a very astute man who didn't even necessarily belong giving, doing a talk show. He's just like an observer. So and, it seemed like he stumbled into a show. Yeah. And... People were like, oh, but because it was late at night, it somehow makes it a little bit more acceptable yeah. for him to be this way. In the same way that I think Conan, uh, when he took over for Letterman, he wasn't necessarily raw, but he was incredibly absurd. Mm-hmm. His stuff, and, and, and yeah. still is to a certain extent, but uh, but yeah. Um, even he's mellowed. But Even he has, yeah. But of course, obviously, can't end that without saying that Letterman mellowed too. I mean, he was still extre- yeah. extremely funny with yeah. the kind of off the top of his head quips yeah. in the moment, all that kind of stuff. But he, he became the standard. He became, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a word that I always use when I talk about this, but I can't think of what it is now, but it's, it's the norm. And yeah. when you, when you become the norm, almost anything you do inside of that context becomes less funny Yeah, because you're the institutionalized, I guess is the best word. Yeah. Um, anyway, we've got went, went way off on a tangent that I love talking about, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, the other, uh, in that long list of things that just kind of fed my own sardonic bent uh, was Woody Allen. And you just can't get away from Woody Allen with me. But I'm always going to mention him because um, his entire career has been uh, an absurdist sort of thing. I mean, obviously he went uh, serious in a lot of cases. But again, if you look back at the beginning, especially, there's just this very easy, natural uh, bent uh, habit toward making fun of things, taking a, a something that's already an established form and and injecting his own uh, absurd perspective into it. Yeah. Uh, just a, an example off the very top of my head. Um, if the uh, if the impressionist had been dentist was one of his uh, his essays that okay. probably in the New Yorker or something back in the late sixties, early seventies. And it was in one of his books, which one I can't remember. Um, it's basically Vincent uh, Van Gogh and Theo, his brother, exchanging letters and they're, but they're talking about dental stuff as if it was art. And like, I really, I really tried hard to, you know, like do this with her bridge, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. It's just r- ridiculous, but very funny. And so he's ta- he would, that's what he did. 
in those days. And his first few, like five or six movies were that as well, uh, taking an established cinematic form and injecting it with his own humor, whether it's the, the documentary with um, uh, Take the Money and Run mm-hmm. um, or, uh, well, I guess this isn't so much a cinematic form, but, but uh, a, a literary form, but he took the Russian novel yeah. basically and then made that into filmed parody of a Russian novel, yeah. a parody of a Russian novel. It's just brilliant stuff. But anyway, so all that to say, all of that was, was kind of feeding me from a very early age. And so come to just fast forward to right now. And I look back on all the stuff that I love, even as a Christian, even as a believer and wanting to follow God in the best possible way. It's like, I still look at this stuff and I go, you know what? Mocking is good. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel bad saying that, but in my heart of hearts, it's like, you know, that sometimes it does things like that, things that seem too big. Yeah. I almost feel like they need to be pierced. It's the, it's the Groucho Marx thing. It's like every single one of their movies. Why is it Night of the Opera? Why is it at the horse races? Why is it all these big places that, you know, are self-important in some way? Yeah. Horse races aren't so self-important, important, but, um, I don't think so, but, uh, I don't know. They're important to some people. Of course. <laughs> Tremendously so. Um, but that was, of course, the Marx Brothers whole bent as well, yeah. or point as well, is that, you know, nothing beyond a certain size should stand for very long without being mocked. Yeah. And uh, I think, obviously, religion is, religion in general, just such a broad word that we could probably define a little bit more nuanced if we want to. Yeah. But in a, in a general sense, religion itself, institutionalized religion, um, man-made, uh, man-run uh, institutions that purvey um, a certain mode of worshiping God at, yeah. at the risk of um, uh, of any other, not at the risk, but uh, yeah, those th- th- that's just one of those things that that is an institution that ought to be yeah. looked at, that ought to be uh, kind of dismantled. And, uh, and it can be done in a, in a serious way or it can be done in a funny way. And I very much prefer the funny way. Yeah. And, you know, so my question is for you, and maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, you know, there is a difference between making fun of the institution, which is completely man-made mm-hmm. and is going to be uh, faulted, obviously, yeah. and making fun of the belief system itself. Right. And we, yeah, we definitely would talk about that a little bit later okay. when we start talking about some of the movies okay. um, in general. But um, So not only those like things that I mentioned, but I mean, some of the best films I think of all time, and certainly some of my favorite films, are satires. And we've been talking about comedy and a lot about parody, like with Woody Allen and mm-hmm. and, uh, and SNL as, as a parody show. It's not a satire per se. I mean, yeah. we could talk about definitions here in a second. But... Um, but some of the greatest movies ever made, Duck Soup, again, the Marx Brothers, Dr. Strangelove, let me just rattle some of these off, MASH, uh, The Hospital. Love it. And Network, both Patty Chayefsky movies. Yeah. Um, a brilliant satirist. Uh, Being There, the very quiet but very powerful Peter Sellers film. Uh, Raising Arizona, I stuck in there because it feels like a, a satire. We can talk about that. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I think an argument could be made that it is, because when I was looking at this list, I remember thinking like, that one doesn't jump out at me uh, immediately. But if you want to look at it as, uh, and this is, you know, this is about as broad as you can get, but at the same time, uh, the idea of the American dream and more specifically the American family. Right. um, And this idea of this is how your life should look. That's exactly why I put it in this list because it's married and have some children. And even if you can, if you can't have children, you got to, you go get them. Right. 
Um, no, absolutely. And uh, uh, on top of that, then Wag the Dog. Have you seen Wag the Dog? I love Wag the Dog. Wag the Dog is so good. Uh, Election, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut is brilliant. Yes. It's just a great movie. It's excessively profane. If you haven't seen that and you have a, a, a something against that, then probably not best to see that. I saw it. I remember the first time I saw it, I was in the theater, of course. And uh, and parents had their little kids Ooh. because it's a cartoon. I'm like, these are the most uninformed parents yeah. vis-a-vis movies and or cartoon movies, animated South movies. South Park did not launch with that movie. No, it's been around been, for a few years at this probably point. Probably at least, what, 12, 13 years? Well, maybe, oh, my, maybe no, no, 10. No, no. no it's, uh, that was 99. 99, so the, and the it's going on 20 years now. Four years. Okay. Well, even so. Yeah. It was wildly popular. Everyone knew about it. So yeah. South Park is in the title. You know what you're going to get. Yeah. And these people were apparently just clueless. And so I felt really guilty sitting there listening to the same thing or yeah. what that, that these little kids were listening to at this exact same time. If I was watching it without them, I wouldn't have that same reaction, but I would just kind of enjoy it. But I just felt wrong. Like I need to go corral those kids back into the lobby or yeah. something or take them down to Aladdin or something. Um. In any case, uh, not just movies, but uh, television has some all-time great satires, All in the Family, MASH again, uh, The Simpsons, South Park, Daily Show, and Colbert Report. Yeah. It just, it, it'll never, it's a, it's a, a genre, a subgenre that will never die because there's always something bigger than you yeah. to make fun of. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of the reasons I've been a fan of stand-up comedy for so long mm-hmm. is that there's just something I went and saw stand-up yesterday. And, um, oddly enough, the, I saw a stand-up comedian who is uh, political, but he is conservative in nature, but he used to write for Bill Maher. Uh, so mm-hmm. he used to be a liberal guy, uh, and then became a conservative, but his comedic mind did not go away. And I, and part of me was like, okay, I've seen like, conservative comedy before right i put quotes around comedy just now and i was like all right we'll see how this goes but this guy is really sharp sure and a lot of the stuff that he was you know making fun of mocking one could say satirizing but it's not exactly that um was stuff that sort of deserves it you know Mm -hmm. if we are making fun of things that are self-important then i would say not necessarily liberalism but definitely certain aspects of modern liberalism and i would say pc culture sure um yeah you know uh and you know if if you are a a liberal listener i do uh, apologize if i've offended you but that's the thing uh (laughs) nobody uh nobody said that nobody from sausage party said that to me (laughs) You know, I am on the yeah. list of people that it's perfectly okay to offend. And so right. that's the thing is if you're in power for a while, like for example, if you have the White House for eight years, you can be made fun of. It's sure. fine. You should be made fun of. You should be made fun of. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I don't know. And it, it can hurt mm-hmm. to be made fun of, you know, uh, especially if it's, you know, if it's a function of this thing that's very important to you and but what I would say is, uh, I'm sorry, I think I feel like I'm, I'm jumping to the end. So, uh, so I'll, I'll hold off on that until well, I'll we, say this, we that, uh, that Dennis Miller is one of my favorite comedians because yeah. he's so smart. Yeah. He's an, uh, an incredibly, as we all know, an incredibly conservative guy. He had his own conservative talk show, radio yeah. talk show. So, or maybe still does. I don't really know. Well, he has a radio show now. He, he didn't turn conservative until like the early two thousands. Okay. Um, up until then he was liberal slash libertarian. Um, but now he's gone full on, full on, full on conservative. Well, have you seen any of his recent standup? I think I he had have. a new one like last year, maybe, or maybe even earlier this year. Yeah, I, I have. And I think it's not quite as good. I think it's a little bit pandering, it, honestly. 
Well, I mean, how many liberal comedians are pandering? Yeah, I don't if like he was liberal, either. he would be <laughs> yeah. pandering too. I mean, yeah, if all I those jokes just tweaked yeah. and became against conservatives, it would still be pandering to the liberals. Yeah. Um, but he uh, he surprised me when I I, I I found it streaming or something his latest one from last year, mm-hmm. and I thought, and I, I just to kind of lay this out there, I. I am less conservative now than I was when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not liberal, but I am definitely more liberal than I was then. Yeah. And um, and there's a lot about the conservative side of things that is extremely disturbing to me now. Yeah. Um, so uh, all that to say, when I turned on uh, Miller, and I I knew that it, this was a very recent thing, so a lot of the things that were still that are still going on now would have been going on then. So he's going to be making fun of this stuff, yeah. or he's actually going to be maybe defending this stuff with humor. Um, I was I was sort of prepared. Yeah. What I wasn't prepared for was how enjoyably, awesomely smart and funny he still is, despite the fact that he's saying things that I don't agree with at all. Yeah. If you're an experienced comedian, yes, even if you're pandering a little bit, there there's. There's a cadence. There can be there can be a certain sharpness that doesn't really go away if you're trying to stay in practice. And he's right. a guy who doesn't need to do stand up anymore. Right. But it, the fact that he does, yeah, I think says something about first off how addictive it can be to do stand up. Right. Um, but also just, I don't know. Sometimes you have to do that just to kind of keep yourself sharp. Sure. Well, a parallel. I don't know exactly why this popped in my mind, but uh, the late Christopher Hitchens, mm-hmm. who um, liberal, but later in life became or at least he became a, a um a supporter of like for instance the war in iraq i believe yeah uh, a defender of certain aspects of it perhaps i can't re- remember the nuances but but yeah, the he, fact that he was able to as sharply discuss these things and just shred people yeah. <laughs> on the other side of course when it comes to religion he could be considered a religious satirist in a way because because he was taking down people just left and right but I and and you know people that I agreed with, yeah. But I can't help even to this day if I if I see one Christopher Hitchens clip I see ten, yeah. Because I love hearing the guy talk and he is sharp and he's extremely funny yeah. and he's very British, very British. Which somehow makes it all go <laughs> down a little easier, a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that we should uh, just for the sake of argument, mm-hmm. uh, we've been kind of dancing around definitions, but we should probably sure. nail down a definition or two of satire by all means in specific and then religious satire in general um now these are not mine i've read these in books and i cannot cite them because i didn't write that down shame on me but satire is a moral and rhetorical art that attacks vice and folly through wit and ridicule Uh, satire seeks to illuminate the inconsistencies inherent in a human system or institution that is satire, as opposed to, and a religious satire would be, obviously, anything of that nature that is attacking the church, mm. or religion, or religious people. Um, so when we're talking about religious uh, satire, we need to differentiate that from more the more general subject of religious comedy, mm. which may be, there may be, there's probably a lot more just straight up religious comedies than there are religious satires. In other words, I'm thinking of what I wrote down, okay. which was, um, Oh God, the George Burns flick oh, from right, the seventies, yeah. which is essentially meeting God, hmm. but it's, it's a soft movie. It's, it's, it's more like a guy who should be doing 
his part to do right in the world, right. gets a visit from God who kind of prompts him along. It's very gentle. It's yeah. funny, but it's very gentle. I don't know if you've seen the movie. Um, Bruce Almighty, which is in a sense kind of the same movie, but different because he becomes God. Yeah. And then he discovers, you know, the fun of having the abilities that God has. And then the the downside of that as well. And then God comes to him. He learns a lesson about omnipotence. Yes. Not that anyone needed to learn a lesson about omnipotence. Or there's Sister Act, mm-hmm. that brand of movie where it's essentially a comedy set in a religious setting. And it could almost be anywhere else. Yeah. With the arc that it has. For instance, Sister Act could be set in a in a high school. And you just change some of the dialogue and yeah. and the brand of music. And you've got another movie yeah. that the humor, I'm sure exists. You know, it's a bunch of nuns, but it could also be a bunch of librarians, except librarians don't hang out all together. <laughs> uh, you know, the idea is it's people don't that they? are very proper uh, right. that are now doing something a little bit improper. And isn't that an odd thing to see? Right. And uh, I think it's also important, we talked about parody up top when I talked about some of the things that I grew up with mm-hmm. and loved and still love. Um, Lord help me, I still love it. Um, but there's a, there is a, a difference between satire and parody. Mm-hmm. And this, this goes back and forth in my mind because there's such an overlap in certain places. But satire is what we described. Parody, I feel like, um, and based on a lot of the things I read, is... It's basically mimicking without a point, except yeah. to mimic. Yeah. Um, the example that I give, that I like to give, and actually this is an example that I give where you could actually argue it both ways. Airplane. You, when you think of parody, yeah. what do you think of? If you think of airplane, or I, I think of airplane. Yeah. First and foremost, it's the greatest, maybe the greatest set, uh, greatest parody ever made in terms of I film. I think it's the greatest parody, and then I would say it is, a for me, a top two. It's probably the second best comedy of all time, in my view. Doctor Strange Love being one. Yeah. We'll talk about it as well. Indeed. Um, but but Airplane is a, obviously, it's a parody of, generally, it's a parody of disaster movies. Yeah. More specifically, it's a parody of, the movie came out in 1980, so it's a parody very specifically of the Airport series. Right. That started in like 1969, 68, and then had like four or five sequels of diminishing returns. Yeah. Um, and yet was still taking itself very seriously. By the time I got like to the... Uh, um, what's the the real fast plane? The uh, SS. Oh, I don't know. T. Um, you know, it was a pretty ridiculous movie. No. I, I recently watched all four or five of them just because I wanted. <laughs> Why would you do that? Because they're fun. Because they're yeah. bad. Yeah. And because they're self important. Um, that's what makes a great bad movie is a movie that doesn't intend to be funny with its badness. Yeah. Like Birdemic is not funny in the way that they intend because. Yeah. Birdemic almost feels like it's trying to be a bad movie. Yeah. Um, but Airplane is a is a, a direct parody of those movies and more generally of, of uh, disaster movies. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. And it's not trying to take aim at the airline industry. It's not trying to be a satire of anything. It's trying to be that. But the more I thought about satire this past couple of weeks uh, for this episode, the more I thought parody movies are satires themselves. Yeah. When you think about it, because the good ones like that one or like the other Zucker Brothers, Zucker Abrams movies yeah. like Top Secret and uh, Top Gun, uh, not Top Gun, um, Naked Gun, are are satires of of that genre. In other words, it's not a satire of what takes, uh, and it's not necessarily just a parody of what's taking place in the films, but it's a satire of an industry, a film industry that would take itself so seriously that it would keep 
churning out these movies. Yeah. And so it's a satire of movies, yeah. but it's a parody of those movies. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that Mel Brooks would do um, a fair amount. I don't see a whole lot of satire in Young Frankenstein, but it's all over Blazing Saddles. And that's, Absolutely. Not, merely, that's not merely the Western, but that's also uh, racism in America. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. But then if you look at something like Spaceballs, which I think is not nearly as good as Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles, uh, but Spaceballs is just as much a parody of Star Wars culture hmm. and franchising. Right. But if you're, but like, that's the thing. You can't parody, uh, you know, franchising. You can't, or, or merchandising. You can't, that's not a thing you can parody, which means you're satirizing it. You're making fun of it. And Unless just how uh, big this thing has gotten. Don't, uh, please don't smoke. What's it called? Uh, oh, thank you for smoking. Thank you for smoking, which is. Yes. Yeah, that is definitely a, but that's, but again, that's talking about a, that's talking about a culture and that's, and the, that's like satire, not parody. Right. And you would say that most people would say that Spaceballs is a star Wars parody. It is, but it is a satire of the things that star Wars spawned. Right. Um, along with being a parody. So that's, so I, I think I, that's an overlap movie. I've become, uh, I guess a lot more liberal, if you will, in my definition of parody only in the last couple of weeks, because I was like, I, I used to have conversations, nay arguments with people about what's a parody and what's a satire. Mm -hmm. And I would get frustrated when someone would call something like, um, like airplane a satire. I'm like, it's yeah. not satire. Because they use, they use the words interchangeably, like spoof. Spoof, yeah. satire, parody are all the same to most people. Yeah. And I don't want to be like a purist or, or like get on uh, my high horse or anything about it, but there yeah. is a difference. And when you talk about Dr. Strangelove, you would never use the word parody. Right. When you talk about Wag the Dog, you would never call it a parody. What's, a par what's it a parody of? It's not a parody of anything. It's satirizing the, collu the collusion of politics or Hollywood, uh, Hollywood and, and, uh, and politics, political power. And, you know, looking at your list here, uh, looking at TV shows, uh, The Daily Show, I think, could qualify as satire. Uh, I, it, I think it probably no, is. it is. Um, Absolutely. Because, but I think it's because it's so overt um, it could just be called straight up commentary, mm -hmm. but it's comedic commentary, which I guess is satire. Whereas I think Colbert Report, it is satire, but that could qualify as parody because he is mimicking a certain type of Daily show. Daily Show as well. I mean, Daily Show is the equivalent of, of Saturday Night News on, on SNL, mm -hmm. except writ larger and writ smarter. Um, meaning, I think that it is a very good satire, but it's also a parody of news shows. Hmm. I guess I, de you know what? I definitely see that in terms of the correspondence um, there you and, go. and mm -hmm. the way that they are often playing characters. Mm -hmm. You know, John Stewart was not playing a character. He was always John Stewart. You always knew where he was coming from. He never really adopted the air of a newsman. Right. Um, and still so, like he was a comedian behind a desk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but whenever you see like interviews of people and the interviewers having to the the correspondents having to be very straight faced, even as they're saying ridiculous things. I think that's where you really get some some solid parody. Yeah, and interestingly, you, you called uh, Colbert Report a parody, more mm -hmm. of a parody than Daily Show. And of course, Colbert came from the Daily Show yeah. as a guy parodying uh, a news a newsman yeah. out on the field. And so he basically just lifted everything that he was doing in those yeah. uh, those side produced pieces and made it his own show. And did it brilliantly. Did it brilliantly. I and mean, now... Regardless of, of their politics, like, the Colbert Report is hard to argue with as far as just how perfectly they approximated 
the overproduced Fox News and MSNBC oh, yeah. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely Fox News at the time. Um, just everything had a graphic, everything had a very specific type yeah. of song, just video screens constantly behind him. So and the just, Onion News Radio does it even oh, better, yeah, I think. It's great. Because I, maybe because they're more compactors, like like five-minute bits yeah. that you can just kind of rifle through. Um, but they do the graphic thing perfectly yeah. on The Onion. It's, it's just remarkable. Sometimes you don't know right away, is this an Onion bit? Did they just link the wrong thing? Yeah. Because it feels so real. It's just amazing that they can do that. Sometimes, I don't know if you have... Well, I won't get into that, but I've seen, sometimes if you see enough of those back to back, you can see some of the seams and yeah, yeah. like it, they go a little bit over the top. Like when there's, it's like a, a panel of like experts or something on something Yeah, and it's, re- you can almost see it on, in your head on the page. It's like, okay, don't go so over the top with your performance because on the page, this is really brilliant. Yeah. Where they, where I think they nail it the best is when they do their morning show. That, I've seen that. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> It How did is, I miss this? It is asta- astonishing. Now, it's not one of the radio things. This is one of their Onion News Network things. Right. Uh, and there is like a guy and a, you know, a middle-aged guy and a slightly younger woman. And they're just being upbeat and happy. Right. And they're talking to, and they're not doing anything hard hitting. They're talking to, you know, uh, housewives who've come up with the, a solution to something or whatever. <laughs> and, and it is just, I mean, that is spot on. That is a perfect satire I need to check this out. of just how vapid those shows can be. Right. Oh, I love it so much. So that actually takes us in, well, let me, do, let me say this first. Um, as I read uh, in many places, satire can mostly fall into three general topics. Uh, and they're very obvious. One would be politics. And we've mentioned a lot of these like Wag the Dog, Dr. Strangelove. Others would include In the Loop. It's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Uh, Bob Roberts. I haven't seen it in forever, but I remember really liking it. Yeah. Um, Election. Election's a great one. The Great Dictator, going back a little further. Mm-hmm. And then these, I, I, I love the fact that there are so many that are very different when you watch. You don't think of the others when you see any of these, but they're very similar premise. One is The Great McGinty, which is an old uh, Preston Sturges movie, one of yeah. his first movies. I About think it was the first one. Just some hobo. You know, you can say that because that's what they were called back then. Yeah. Um, hobo, you know, who becomes governor of the state yeah. um, through machinations of evil politicians. Uh, there's a movie that no one's ever heard of. I happened to catch it on uh, TCM like four years ago or something called The Governor, G-U-V apostrophe N-O-R. Really small movie about, again, just a really poor, kind of sly guy who uh, has happens to have the same last name as someone who's visiting this hotel and he goes in for like an alm mm-hmm. and he goes in for some change and ends up uh, in the penthouse and all these politicos are coming to talk to him about stuff. So he becomes like, it's the same thing, but it's really, it's really short. It's like six, one of the 60 minute B movie kind of things oh, yeah. from back in the forties. Um, also uh, facing the crowd. It's a great movie. Yeah. About uh, a singer on a radio show and yeah. it's been so long since I've seen it, but he played rises by, to power. Played by Andy Griffith. Brilliant and performance. Out, and, you know, it's a character that's very aw shucks. But fake. But fake. Yeah. And he's actually quite uh, insidious. It's in hard to ways. go and watch like an Andy Griffith episode yeah. after seeing that because he, he's playing the same character at the beginning of the movie, yeah. kind of, as he is all the way through Andy Griffith's show. But it's clearly fake by, what, 20 minutes in? Once yeah. he kind of gains a little power and audience and hubris, he becomes yeah. like this monster. It's a, it's a great... Ilya Kazan, I believe. Made is that, that right? I believe so. Yeah, I think you are right. Uh, and the fourth in that, uh, what would quad something, uh, is being there, of course. Being there might be the most famous of those, um, or the most talked about with Peter Sellers as 
Chance Gardner mm. or Chance the Gardener, and uh, kind of a uh, you know mentally handicapped character yeah. who's been kept in this house where the person dies and he ends up getting a, a ride accidentally with the wife of the governor. I forget. It's always yeah. a governor in these, in these um, and ends up being the the purveyor of, of wisdom in a, in a cynical era by just saying things like how to garden. Yeah. And that's the thing is, you know, um, it's a, a more, a much more sincere version of being there would be something like Forrest Gump where there's True. not an there. I don't think there's an ounce of, well, maybe not. There's probably a little bit of cynicism, but when you just see like how good natured Forrest is, like he changes people's yeah. lives and that sort of thing. I, in a couple of, uh, of the places I was looking up stuff for this, just to kind of uh, teach myself, um, I, I saw Forrest Gump listed as a satire, and I'm like, it doesn't sound right. And when I think about the elements of Forrest Gump, I can see how you would derive that tag. Yeah. But when you watch the movie, you don't feel like anything is being... It, it, it doesn't follow the rule of what we've defined satire to be, yeah. which is uh, it's fundamentally it's got to be uh, wit meets uh, a, a moral bent. Let me ask you this. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Would you consider that a satire? No, I would not. I might. I would have to be, I'd, I'd th- have to think a little bit outside the box to do so. But when you think of, you know, it's definitely a commentary, you know, especially when you see, you know, what the press does when Jefferson Smith first shows up. Um, but it's also very heightened. Um, that's of its time, though. I mean, that, very much. It is. Yes. Um, it's Frank Capra, right? Frank Capra. Frank, Ca- Frank Capra. And, you know, and I naturally think like, well, sur- surely Frank, Ca- Frank Capra is not going to do anything satirical. But I think there could be an element when you see. Because as I was looking at these movies that you were talking about that are political satires, it's, you know, somebody from a humble beginning being elevated because they right. think they're a rube, because uh, the powerful think that, oh, we found a rube who will be a really great uh, placeholder mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and, you know, and I guess because Jefferson Smith is smarter than everybody thinks he is, but he's not evil, like the character from Face in the Crowd, I guess that makes it, I guess that's where you find the sincerity. I, I just can't, I can't see it as a satire because I see it more as, as I'm sitting here contemplating it. It's more just, it's just a realist movie. It's, it's actually kind of striking that Frank Capra, of all people, who's a, you know, I would say he's patriotic. I was just reading about him recently, and he's definitely a patriot. But he was, he wasn't necessarily a person who would stand firm on certain aspects of patriotism. He would kind of waver depending on right. who he. Not that he was a. He's a Hollywood player, of course, but he was also, he was an immigrant Mm -hmm. and he, he came here and then he made movies about America. And so it's, I'm not saying that he wasn't allegiant to America or the government or anything like that, but he, there's an aspect to his personality type that he, he needed to placate. He need, he needed to, to please others in order to get done what he needed to get done yeah. uh, in film. And so that's a, a very broad way to put it, and it's much more nuanced than that. But that said, it's it's interesting that he would make a movie that so vilifies the United States government, yeah. while it's also very effectively and very successfully, and I think very truly, um, elevating its good good parts. Well, I think, you know... If you look at that and you talk about what I was ta- what I was mentioning a moment ago, uh, which is 
making fun of the institution of the church without actually going after the, uh, the belief system. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a thing that he, I think Capper recognizes I can make fun of the government all day long. I'm not making fun of the constitution. I'm not making fun of the bill of rights. I'm not making fun of the, the Phyllis, uh, the philosophy of America. Right. I'm making fun of the way that it so often, uh, you know, falls apart because of, uh, flawed people or is um, manipulated by people with less pure yeah. aims. Yeah. Uh, that's absolutely right. I, I, I think that I still can't see it as a satire. Yeah. That's just my knee jerk kind of feeling. If I thought about it longer, perhaps, but, uh, I can't see it as anything other than just like a, uh, almost like a, a, a passion play sure. for one person's, uh, journey from being sort of wide eyed and, America is awesome and we're, we're all here for the same purpose and getting his eyes opened. Yeah. And, and that end, Jimmy Stewart is not the same. I think he probably goes, he reverts back in some ways to who he was at the beginning because right. he's still Jefferson Smith, but he's learned a lesson. He's, he's wiser. And, uh, it's, it's more about his journey than it, than it is poking a hole in, in the inconsistencies of the United States government, of right. which there are many. Um, but, but interesting to talk about it in, in terms of satire is there's bound to be elements in there that I'm just not, I'm kind of yeah. blind. I mean, to. anytime you have commentary, it's going to, it's going to tonally occasionally have something in common with satire. If right. it's not, e- even if it's not overtly that. But, so, um, uh, okay. So we should move on. Yeah. Real quick. Uh, so there's uh, politics, uh, we just went through a bunch of those. And then the other, one of the other, uh, general topics is sex relationships and family. Uh, which is awfully broad, but uh, just a couple of those. Miracle at Morgan's Creek. Of course, again, Preston Sturges, the brilliant man from the 40s, did everything right. Satyricon, which lays bare... Is that the right phrase to use in this sure. case? Um, uh, you, just the audacity of a certain uh, liberal approach towards sex mm-hmm. uh, or uh, lifestyles. Let's just leave it at that. And uh, American Beauty, which I think that you probably would have a lot to say. I, we disagree on the quality of this film, mm-hmm. um, but it is most definitely a satire on the institution, if you will, of the American family, of the expectation of happiness yeah. in the American family, given that the American dream hasn't been essentially, has been essentially fulfilled by this family. They should have, they should have happiness and contentment, but they don't. And why is that? And in that regard, it is a satirical let me ask you this in your in your view of satire will there always be an element of humor to it i believe so i think i think yes i think so too even if it's dark even if you know uh network is not a remarkably funny film Mm? until i saw it with an audience Uh. and i i mean i thought it was funny i thought it was here's the thing absurd can be seen as funny ridiculous can be seen as funny and satire can can contain elements of humor or absurdity or ridiculousness or Mm -hmm. you know certainly a heightened tone and that's network all over yep um same with the hospital and these are these are very darkly funny movies yes and i would say in the in that way i i could see american beauty being a satire because ordinary people is not a satire american beauty has a lot a, a lot of laughs in there and um oh you said american beauty does yes okay and, uh, and so I think, I think it could qualify as a satire, certainly. No, I, I don't think there's any uh, disagreement there. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it is definitely a satire. It, I think where we disagree, we've kind of had off mic conversations about this. Yeah. Um, and so we won't delve into it too much, but I just don't like it as a film. <laughs> I just don't like watching it. It's just not, it doesn't do it for me. Well, I'm not a huge simply. fan of it myself. I thought, um, I thought it was like your, one of your favorite movies of that era or no. of 99 or it's, who it's was a, I talking to? It's a big 99 movie. Absolutely. Um, you know, one best one picture. Best picture. You, yeah. Uh, I think it's gorgeous to look at. Mm-hmm. I think there's some good performances going on. I think it's remarkably ham fisted. Um, that's, that is kind of the risk you run with satire mm-hmm. is if you, if you either overplay it or don't play it hard enough, it could just be seen as incredibly ham fisted and, uh, and over the top and ridiculous, but for no real reason. Um, right. I mean, I loved the movie when it came out, but I was 17, <laughs> which one could say is the perfect age to sure. see and love American beauty. Um, yeah. but yeah, it's definitely a satire. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it, it, there's no disagreement there, but the, uh, so we should probably talk about just religious satire then, because sure. that's the other category. I mean, we've got political, oh wait, I was going to say something about uh, non-funny satire. That's what it was. Why kind of hung there for a second. Um, one of, one of my favorite satires, and it's, it's funny because I don't always think about this as a satire. It's more like a science fiction movie. But there are movies that that can take a like the template of another genre mm-hmm. of any genre, and uh, and festoon it, if you will, with with uh, with the wit and the the moral component that satires are required to have. And my favorite, when I think about this, is Planet of the Apes, which is yeah. I mean, is it a do you think of Planet of the Apes as a satire? No, you think of it as a satire, as an adventure film even, yeah. with a great twist ending, um, but as a commentary on what? What is it satirizing? So I think... Well, obvi- religion, definitely. It's definitely satir- satirizing religion. It's doing it in a very funny way, a darkly... Yeah. Um, can we say dark? It's not really a dark, a dark f- funny. It's more like mordant is the word that comes to mind, even though I could not... Caustic. Caustic, yeah. Caustic quality to it. Yeah, I mean, the broadest it gets is the moment when Taylor is being tried by the Mm -hmm. three orangutans. And they're orangutans? Orangutans? I don't know. Um, I always said tangs. The monkeys. Yeah. uh, The titular apes, (laughs) if you will. And, uh, And they're sitting there, and so they're very quietly, sort of almost in the background, one is putting his hands over his ears, the other one yeah. over his eyes, and one over his mouth. So it's yeah. like, hear no evil, see no evil, hear, yeah. hear no evil, that thing. So, um, if only I could say it. But you know, you get my my point, is that it's, that's more of a, it's almost more of a parody moment, because we've all seen that that image, yeah. or heard that phrase. Um, but it's also, in a sense, satirizing uh, uh, the judicial structure, yeah. of which is, obviously, it's a sham. It's like a sham uh, uh, courtroom scene in, in a lot of military movies that we see, but it's just no. it's that kind of thing. But it's doing it in this bizarre context of a man on a planet run by apes. Um, but the truth is that, uh, more generally speaking, of course, it's a religious satire because yeah. uh, if you're saying at all that any human that you see in the movie is uh, is categorized as a mute and belongs out in the fields uh, like an animal, and better to let the apes run the planet. And we'll have our own religion, and don't worry about us. We'll, we'll be over here, and we'll get along fine. Is saying something about religion that yeah. anyone could set up their own, and uh, anyone can like rule their kind, if you will, with yeah. uh, a set of uh, doctrine. Yeah, and and you can manipulate anyone that you want coming along. That that's the the, the position that the movie takes on religion, and but but it's more than it's more it's it's more than it's just. Uh, 
you know, it's monkeys setting up. It's 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 that humans can't do it, so we'll do it. Yeah. And it's it's a real kick in the pants to humanity at large that that the movie would take that position that oh, we don't even need you. Yeah. Um, or we'll just we'll just ad hoc. We'll take bits and pieces of what we remember from the time that our existence was overlapping in society, and we'll make it our own, and we'll control our own this way. And it's it's not the central thing in the film, but it is definitely there, and it definitely runs from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. See, and what's interesting to me is that's that's a, a very different take on the satire than than I have. Definitely a religious religious satire, but I just see it as more as just the way that the because if we want to say that. I'd say Dr. Zayas is about as uh, institutional as you can get. Like, right. he basically runs the whole show. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that decides where the forbidden zone is, and he knows why. And he decides why it's forbidden. Right. Because that's where you'll find proof that, oh, wait, no, we actually did. Uh, we came from humans, you know, yeah. and we're trying to, to downplay them. Um, and so, you know you come to realize that, oh, this was all a construct. Right. Th- these beliefs were all a construct of him so that he could stay in power. Right. Um, but what I do like, and so, you know, uh, there definitely fits in with the idea that a lot of people have that, uh, that religion, whatever it might be, let's say Christianity, just cause that's what this show is, um, that it was just a construct so that those in power could stay in power. Right. Um, or that you could gain power or whatever it is. Um, you know, but what I, where I think uh, Planet of the Apes is, and so if you want to look at it that way, then I'd say Taylor is something of an atheist hmm. um, and is just constantly trying to poke holes in the way these people live, uh, these, these apes live. And, but what I think is so great, and this is why, I think this is one of the things that makes a great satire, is that it might have a very specific target, but it usually has room for other targets too. And if we, and if you look at, there's an element where Taylor has decided he's going to do what he wants and Zayas has kind of been not necessarily dethroned, but it's clear that, you know, he doesn't have any power over Taylor anymore. And there comes this wonderful moment when Zayas says, he's like, be careful, you know, be careful what you look for or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just says, you may not like, like what, what you, you find. find. Yeah. And that's the thing is, uh, and then Taylor finds what he finds. And there's this wonderful element of, you know, Taylor's Taylor's coming from a place of superiority to mm-hmm. these apes. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. I know the truth. You guys don't know the truth. Right. And now I'm going to go find the truth. The truth is so much worse than I thought. <laughs> and who am I to say that, uh, that I am any better than right. these apes, given what I've just been shown? By the end of the movie, he... Uh, th- I mean, Charlton Heston is such perfect casting for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Not the least of which is the fact that he embodies literally embodies his body the way he looks is like that's manliness you know that's 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 uh you know masculinity and that he's a great representation of humanity for these apes it's like this this is what we were this is who we were um and and uh so he goes out to find the truth and then the last shot is of course it's a great twist but it's also very small in the frame is a humbled prostrate human who is realizing that humanity failed he failed who where he came from is gone because of the way he was behaving throughout the entire movie and what else where else can you leave him but pounding his fist in the beach you know on his knees yeah and it's just uh 
you know, and if you'll pardon me for, uh, I'm not trying to twist this into my own personal, uh, propaganda or anything like that, but, uh, you know, I'm not trying to go out of my way to say that, uh, Taylor is, is sort of a stand in for an atheist, but I feel like he's, he's trying to say that everything you believe is wrong and these things you're taking on faith are wrong and you should just, you should listen to me. And if you listen to me and what I know to be true, then we'll all get along swimmingly. Right. But then again, like, so in doing that, he's putting hope in man. He's putting hope right. in himself. And he's a guy who is not inclined to do so. Um, he's a very cynical character about mankind at the beginning of the film. Uh, but then at the end, you come. He comes to realize, like, oh my gosh, you know, it's almost a, mo- a moment of true hopelessness, because, you know, he he's a guy who thought he had his eyes wide open, so that he's better than his fellow man, because he understands how bad man can be, and he's better than the apes because he understands how good man can be, right? Or how, or you know, how much further along man is than these apes. Well, it's amazing how you take on that that mantle when you're the only one left. Yeah. And, but then he is, he's sort of, you know, as they say in, uh, the Simpsons episode where they have, uh, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, where it's like, uh, you finally made a monkey out of of me, me. (laughs) you know, it's, uh, man, I love that. It's when I stumbled on that, I didn't see it in the episode, like when Mm -hmm. it first aired, but I found it online somewhere and I, I played it. I, I promise you it was at least 25 times. (laughs) It's such a, such a brilliant, like two minutes, minute and a half. Yeah. I hate every ape I he- I see from chimpanzee mm-hmm. to chimpanzee. Oh my gosh, it's brilliant. Sim- the Simpsons writers used to be so smart. And um, let's, but we can, let's not get into that. Yeah, we, but we can. We can, but we can say Simpsons because yeah. Uh, I mean, I listed it before. Um, okay, yeah, you're right. We should. Okay, so where where was I? Because okay, so it was like those were the general topics, were politics, sex, and then religion uh, are the are the three main ones. With some, you, know, you can always throw. Uh, some other satires you can think of into like where where does this fit? Like mine was Ace in the Hole, yeah, which is uh, the Billy Wilder film, which is taking straight aim at journalism. Yeah, I'd say Natural Born Killers. As much as Ooh. I don't really care for it, that's definitely a journalism uh, yeah parody. Absolutely, the the as I guess network is too. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I keep saying absolutely. You are so true I'm and right speaking very correct things and indeed you are um and that was a, a tyler phrase indeed you are um That's true we're becoming one we're merging you know what i say to that yes absolutely <laughs> um so so finally we get i don't know how long we've been talking but finally we get to religious satire um, long enough that we should probably move things along i agree so uh let's see religious satire are of course movies that focus on any aspect of the church one to make a point about its hypocrisy its inconsistencies its brutality its unbelievability its members its leaders and two it must make us laugh or does it because it seems to me that there should be a separation between uh generally speaking, religious satire and, and other movies that are about religion yeah. um, that are also taking aim at the power that religion seems to possess yeah. over people like Spotlight or uh, any movie that's sort of based on a gospel like Pasolini's The Gospel According to Matthew, which is this very somber, serious, uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm thinking, reverent uh, film about Matthew. Uh, Winter Light, the Bergman film, which is one of my favorite films of all time, which is about doubt which is it's just a brilliant movie, but it's definitely taking aim at 
uh, at doubt and and that which you hold close to your heart as a belief system, but that doesn't seem to be doing it for you anymore. Right. And what do you do about that? But it's certainly not a satire. Um, Diary of a Country Priest would be another one. So these are movies that are built around the elements of the first point, which is, let's talk about religion, um, but they're they're not meant to make you laugh. Anyway, that's kind of a, a, an easy point. Um, I had a whole section on history, but let's forget that. And what, kind of the, the crux of of talking about this or one of some of the questions that I have regarding this are all about the way I feel. Um, why do I, why, how can I enjoy this when I know what God says about, say, for instance, mocking? Yeah. Um, I have had this section of Psalms, and my goodness, it's the first section of Psalms, for goodness yeah. sake, um, floating in my head since I was a teenager and I started liking this stuff. I might have heard it in a passage about something totally different, and that's what I picked up on. The uh, Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinner, of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And of course, the flip side of that is, I guess anyone who does sit in the seat of mockers will not prosper. Their leaf yeah. will wither. And I'm thinking about this as a kid, and it stuck with me my entire life as I'm enjoying some of these movies going, uh, it's almost like a, like a secret sin. It's almost yeah. like porn or something where I'm like, I'm, I'm enjoying watching Life yeah. of Brian or a movie like it, should I be, uh, may, I, I just, maybe God doesn't, isn't looking at me now. You know, it's, it's not, God that, will not be mocked. That's a thing I know. Yeah. You know, as I've seen, you know, I might shouted I'm, in movies and stuff. You know, I'm overstating it obviously because I don't think of it as porn. It's a, it's obviously a different kind right. of addiction, a different kind of problem. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like something I should be enjoying. Yeah. And so here's the crux of what we're going to talk about today. And I don't have an answer. I want to talk about it with you. Okay. Um, can we laugh? at ourselves, A, as Christians, B, can we laugh at ourselves in the same way that the world laughs at us, which kind of fits into C, in the ways that they're mocking us through film, like religious satires, or, or, or is it okay to sit and watch and enjoy a satire about the things I believe? And I have ideas on this and thoughts, maybe they're justifications, but we can talk about that. What do you think? Well, it's tough. I don't know if it's if it's possible for us to enjoy a movie like like Life of Brian um, in the same way that somebody who is not a Christian would enjoy Life of Brian simply because of the things that we believe. And I'm not saying it's wrong for us to enjoy it that way. I just think that you know, in the same way that I was watching Sausage Party, I didn't go in with my dukes up. You know, I wasn't yeah. looking for a fight, and then it starts making these jokes. Now, admittedly, Sausage Party does it a little bit wrong because the jokes start to give way to the point, uh, you know, in favor of the point. And if you make me laugh, I'm much more likely to laugh along with your points. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and I know that uh, Religious does this as well. You know, it will make actual mocking points about certain aspects of faith. And if you are making fun of the faithful, if you are making fun of the church, if you are making fun of customs or anything that is external, I think it's perfectly okay for us to, to laugh along with them. And I think it's, and when I say perfectly okay, I mean, it's, it's 
in fact, likely that I will laugh along with them. But once they start making fun of the, the religion itself, it's not that I don't have a sense of humor about it. It's that I have a hard time not saying, I have a hard time saying like, no, you don't understand. Right. You know, you're, you're making fun of your, you know, you're misunderstanding this and then making a joke as though you did understand it. Right. And that like, and it bothers me so much, even though I'm a big fan of comedy. And, but then I realized like, but then what I try to realize in that moment is, well, how many things have I made fun of thinking I've got it all figured out? Sure. You know, undoubtedly people who believe something or, or have done something that I don't understand or that I haven't experienced, undoubtedly they would say the same thing to me. So that's usually where I will extend, you know, some grace, but I think it's literally not possible, not from a spiritual or a moral standpoint, I'd say from almost a practical standpoint, I don't know if it's possible for me to enjoy this the way other people do, because, you know, if Ricky Gervais says something to a room full of atheists, hmm. um, they're going to laugh about everything. Right. I might be able to laugh at a well-constructed joke, but I feel like I'll only ever be 75% there because that extra 25% will be poking holes in the specific thing that he said. Right. Um, and so it's, it's a difficult thing. I don't think I would forbid anybody to do it. I just don't think they'd be able to. Yeah. It's interesting that you'd, uh, call out Ricky Gervais specifically because he is somebody who, uh, he seems like he's lashing to me whenever he's he's making fun. It's almost like a, it's almost like a desperate kind of, and I'm I'm putting him down even as I'm enjoying it. I mean, I I think he's a very funny and a very smart yeah. man. But there's something about his his tone seems to shift to me. Maybe maybe it really is just because I am a believer, yeah. And I'm hearing this and I'm I'm reacting in a different way. But there's something like he so wants you to make fun of it with him. Yeah. That it's it's like the person at the bar who wants you to drink with them. It's like if I pay for your drink, will you please just sit down and we can get drunk together? Yeah. I know I shouldn't be doing this. If you're doing it with me, I feel better about it. Hmm. And when he's on stage and he's mocking so mercilessly um religious faith, individual religious faith, um meaningful religious faith in a way that is so scathing that it it, it's off-putting, it feels almost like, won't you please come along with me and believe like I do because I need to know that I'm right about my very acerbic point of view on this. Does that make any sense? I, uh, I don't want to put him down too much. Well, I'll put him down all day long because he's not an actual stand-up. He's a guy that got famous for being funny and then started doing stand-up, but it's not the same. Hmm. Um, you know, it, as opposed to somebody like a Louis C.K. or a... a Jerry Seinfeld or somebody like that. Um, and Louis C.K. has taken aim at religion. But oddly enough, I, don't ha I, tend, I tend to have less of a problem with it, usually because the jokes are fairly well crafted, and I can always appreciate at least that. Yeah. Um, whereas and his general tone is, is just funny. Yeah. He's a funny guy. And Ricky Gervais can be remarkably funny. Um, as a character. I, as a character. And, and just conversationally, like when he was on, you know... Um, comedians and cars getting coffee with Jerry Seinfeld, he was very funny, you know, mm. and very charming. And, well, I say that just probably because he's British. I don't know. Um, <laughs> all British so, people are funny, aren't they? Well, they're all, they're all charming. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm charmed. It's, yeah. It's, you know, uh, we, uh, our friend, uh, Daryl is British. That's right. And every time I talk to him on Skype, I'm like, Oh man, this, did this guy just get done sweeping out a chimney? What's going on? <laughs> Um, He's wearing a pork pie hat, isn't he? <laughs> so it's... Uh, 
so it's it's tough to say because you know when we get into this because I know that I saw Ricky Gervais in a stand-up set he was essentially reading the reading out the of the Bible, Bible right and the laughter was happening already like he wasn't even necessarily yeah. commenting yet yeah he was simply reading it but he was reading it in an incredulous tone and I thought like Oh, okay. So, yeah, I guess if you don't believe this, this would be funny. But you're not actually saying anything funny about it. You know, Maybe that's if, the if bit. A Christ, if a Christian comedian, you know, read out of Origin of the Species or something like mm-hmm. that to a Christian audience and everybody was laughing, you know, uh, somebody like Ricky, Ricky Gervais would look at that and just be fuming because, like, sure. it's not funny. How could you find anything funny in that? Like, well, because they don't believe it. They there's almost like a ridiculous. bit of performance art in, in a way because yeah. it isn't a structured stand-up routine yeah. necessarily all the time. I mean, just the, the vision, the, the image of a man standing there with a Bible in his hand and j- literally just reading it and letting you laugh at how ridiculous some of it sounds yeah. is almost like performance art to me. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds right. I, I, I would buy him more as a performance artist than an actual comedian, as opposed to somebody like Eddie Izzard, who, <sighs> so good. who, who seems very disorganized, but is actually a remarkably disciplined comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, and also makes mincemeat of Christianity yeah, many times over. Um, But Gervais, uh, again, interesting you bring him up because one movie that I have not seen that is a religious satire is um, by him is uh, The Invention of Lying. Which I have not seen, but I read the script for many years ago uh, back before it was made. Um, Mm -hmm. I was at a, uh, I was interning at a place and I read this script that at the time was called The Other Side of the Truth. And they did not say who the author was. Hmm. And as I read through it, I thought it was really funny. And then it, but then that's the thing. It got to the religious part or, you know, and at that point it was about religion in general. Right. Um, and the invention of religion. Um, and it became less funny, but I also feel like, but I don't know. I can't remove myself from it. I don't know if it got less funny because it's making fun of something that I find interesting or something I find uh, comforting or if it started to become less funny because it started to become more specific and it wasn't making as big of an attempt to be funny. Yeah. But at the same time, there's also a moment where he invents religion by basically lying to his mother as she's about to die Mm -hmm. in a hospital and tells her, and she's scared that she's going to die because in that moment, everybody knows that they're just going to go into the ground and sees, he says, no, 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 that's not what, what's going to happen. You're going to go to this wonderful place. He basically invents heaven. Right. And she is genuinely comforted and he's crying as he's talking to, you know, it's a very sincere thing. And so in that moment, he actually sort of abandons the satire and actually seems to understand why someone would, inv- would invent religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only after that it's only after when you know he's done talking to her and he looks back and all of the uh, all of the the nurses and the doctors are just standing staring at him and they say and then what happens you know and so off what's interesting is that even though he is essentially saying that religion itself is a lie um, he would appear it would appear that he would stipulate in that moment that it is a well-meaning lie and it is only when people want to add dogma to it Hmm. that it becomes a problem. Right. Uh, because in that moment, he did what he needed to do. He comforted his mom at a time when she needed comforting. Right. And it was the last, and yes, the last thing he said to her was a lie, but it was a lie that was, that was beautiful. Right. But only, but now that people, they want to know more, 
and they want to live their lives instead of, you know, die their deaths uh, by this thing, that it becomes a problem. And oddly enough, in that moment, by so it does become less funny, but I feel like that's that is a a that's a line of thinking that I think I'm more on board with because once again, it's it's about you know, dog, uh, specific dogma and stuff like that and, and the things that we focus on that may not always be that important and that kind of thing. Right. I, I have not seen the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tread lightly because, I, I mean, I haven't seen how right. the premise plays out. I've literally only read, and this is just my admission, my confession to you, that I, I've only read the Wikipedia plot okay. synopsis of this movie. But as soon as I got, like in the first paragraph, it says, okay, here's a world where uh, lying does not exist. First of all, that makes it a science fiction movie, which is fine yeah. that, that it's a science fiction movie because it's like, okay, you're creating an alternate reality um, in order to make your point. And that already makes your point a little, I don't know, like on shifting sands a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In your world where you, that you've created in your head, these rules apply and it seems kind of bizarre that you would ever talk about heaven or hell or whatever. Um, but inside of this world, inside of this created world, one of the initial... Um, Premises, premises. Can you can I say that without sounding pretentious? No, it's fine. Um, is that because there is no lying, and lying does not exist. It has not quote unquote been invented yet. Um, one of the things that doesn't exist is the idea of God, yeah. which you've already said. But when I got to that part, I was uh, just in reading it. I was like, that that is that requires to make that part of the world that religion itself doesn't exist or that God doesn't exist because lying doesn't exist to equate the two yeah. to say that a lie is the only way that God can exist. Uh, that's your, that's your premise. That's not even the movie yet. Yeah. That's just the premise. That is such a shallow understanding of not religion per se, but of belief that it turned me off automatically. And I don't even think that's because I'm a believer I think that's because as a filmmaker, as a person who loves movies, that just seems like too easy uh, a rule to give the movie that you're writing. It makes it too easy to make your point. Yeah, there's, and that actually kind of gets back to what I was saying last week about Sausage Party is that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's creating a mythology. And once you create a mythology, it's like you're now inviting me as a film person to look for cracks. Now, I won't look for them if you do the rest of your job very well. And I do think that Invention of Lying, or at least the script that I read, was was pretty solid. And I recognize that a movie is not its script. I recognize that. Please realize that. That I, I don't have any illusions about that. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know, the idea of, you know, uh, lying doesn't exist. And so God is a thing that needs to be... Uh, is a thing that people aren't thinking about. And only when he starts lying, does he invent God. And the thing that gets me, and this is kind of abstract, but see if you can go with me. They still have cars. (laughs) They still have buildings. They still have computers. They still have technology. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a time when none of that existed. So how on earth could somebody think of something, think of creating something? I guess they could see a need for it. They could look at the world Mm -hmm. and think, oh, I should do this. Um, You know, I I see a need for this. So what would what would fix that? But one could say that even in that moment, as you're thinking abstractly about what could fix that, you're thinking about things that aren't. 
Right. Things that don't exist, things that are not currently fact, one could could say things that are not true. Right. Well, on a metaphysical level, the movie can't exist. On a metaphysical level, many movie premises, right. again, there I go with the premises, can't exist or they can't exist and and also survive this conversation. Right. And that's, and and, but that's the thing is, as I said about Sausage Party, if part of the movie's message is that I need to think more critically, then <laughs> it's like, okay, you're getting pretty accusatory towards yeah. me yeah. about how I am not thinking critically enough. If that, if that's what you're going to say, and I know this is kind of a, a tough standard. If that's what you're going to say, your movie needs to be airtight. I need to think that you are, and it, that's, that's the thing. It's a satire. It's a comedy. They don't need to be airtight. And in the case of Sausage Party, because it's not funny, um, I'm way more, it gives me nothing else to think about except the flaws. Invention of Lying is well-written. And it, and it did make me laugh as I was reading it, um, which is why I'm less mean about it than I am Sausage Party. But it got me thinking that like if, but it still boils down to a simplistic idea you know, with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, it's, oh, heaven is this wonderful place. And if you do the right things, you'll go there. Right. Well, that's not, I'd say most belief systems would not say that's how it works. There has yeah. to be some degree of divine intervention. Sure. Uh, you know, in, a, in our case, it's that, yeah, no amount of work can get you there. Uh, God gets you there. Uh, right. Jesus gets you there. Um, and it's just through faith and, you know, you can you can screw up, but you're still in a place of forgiveness, yeah. and so that's a complex idea. What I just said, but what they said is remarkably simple. And the idea of God being an element of revelation, just as I would say arithmetic is an element of revelation. It's a thing that is abstract that isn't really there, but then it suddenly is, and we re and we realize it. That's kind of how I see it. But mm -hmm. that's a, that's a very abstract, and I'd say a complex idea. The idea of God is a lie, and thus, in a world where nobody lies, God does not exist. That is a very simple idea. Mm -hmm. And you could do a lot worse than simple ideas, but it's just one of those things that just it. I feel like I can't help but uh, but find fault in that, and I find myself wondering. W did Ricky Gervais think of that and then dismiss it or did he just not think of it because he doesn't believe this stuff? He doesn't need to. He assumes it's a lie. And so he can move forward with that assumption. Or he could have uh, committee meetings telling him what to do. Sure. Because it's Hollywood. Sure. Um, but uh, regarding I got the impression that he, he had a fair amount of control over that script. Yeah. But, but regarding a sausage party. Yeah. Which I have not seen. I think the greatest joke perpetrated against the world by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg is the fact that we're saying sausage party and serious conversations. Yeah. It's the uh, phrase. It's very frustrating. Um, why? <laughs> Cause I, ha I, yeah, I had so many people say, you got to talk about it in your show. And it's like, ah, oh, then I had to do say, do I gotta, I really don't want to. Yeah. Um, let's, but, uh, um, but we should, we should move on. That was agreed. a fun tangent. Uh, but actually all of this kind of, kind of feeds into one of my conclusions about all of this, and again, this sounds so much like a justification when you say it out loud, but in my mind, it seems, in heart, it seems to work, is that um, a lot of times, uh, a, a religious satire that is just ceaselessly mocking the things that I believe, or the, the constructs around the things that I believe, like church, or mm -hmm. people that I've admired over the years, if, if the material that I'm watching, if the story that I'm watching, if the jokes even, 
are good and it's coming from a place of smarts or a worked out sort of uh, approach, yeah. it's coming from people who understand what they're mocking, in other words, then I'm much more willing to forgive it as, as a film, first of all, yeah. but as an attack against me. I can go, okay, I get it, I get it, but man, that was funny. Versus somebody who doesn't seem to either care or want to know or know at all or any of that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no um, rigor to their thought going into the writing of the script or the performance or whatever it is. The, the contrast is uh, the invention of lying versus uh, uh, the life of Brian. Yeah. Which when you watch it, I have some problems with it after watching it again just recently for this that we could talk about more of a, an aesthetic problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the choices they made. But in terms of all of what we're talking about, it is extremely smart extremely knowing just like virtually everything that the that the uh that money python does yeah it comes from a position of these guys know what they're making fun of or what they're lining uh, aligning with they know they're just extremely smart people it comes out in the kinds of jokes they tell yeah um in the way that they make fun of uh something you know religious um it's coming from a place where we've been thinking about this for a long time and we've hated it so long we're gonna make fun of it yeah um as opposed to ricky gervais which almost feels like I'm famous. I need a cause. I, I hate. I hate Christians. I'm going to make fun of Christians. Yeah, that's kind of how it feels to me. It's a very shallow, lashing out kind of comedy. I don't think this is a phrase, but I'm going to coin it. It's like a straw man joke. Hmm. Like you hear about a straw man argument, which is you you have a very simplified idea of something, and then you argue against that, even though yes, conceivably someone somewhere might right be that, but it's probably not the person you're talking to and it's probably none of their friends uh and in that same way i feel like what we're talking about is the idea of a straw man joke and that the reason that these films don't work for us when i say these films i mean specifically you know invention of lying even though again neither of us have seen the film i've only read the script um and sausage party the reason they don't work for us is because i feel like they are all straw man jokes they come from a from a lack of understanding Mm -hmm. as opposed to excessive understanding you know, um, and, and also uh, an emotional place. Yeah. Because it feels, uh, funny enough, as shrill, it's one of the problems I have with uh, Life of Brian, it feels very shrill, a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of yelling in the movie. Um, despite all that, it, it, it still feels like it, it comes from an intellectual place. Mm-hmm. Whereas, in, again, Invention of Lying, I've only read their Wiki, Wikipedia entry, but um, that kind of movie feels like uh, a very angry emotional thing it's like i gotta get this off my chest Mm -hmm. and i'm angry at christians for destroying the world and making me making so many people do terrible things in my eyes yeah um and that that makes a difference too in kind of how the movie comes out um but the impression it makes on you i should say uh life of brian while i was watching it only yesterday um i'd seen it many times um and we we could i don't want to like get way into it because we we should make it an, an episode unto itself but there are things about the movie that just, I think, succeed so well in terms of satire that that it just really stands up on its own, despite the shrillness. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the scenes that really struck me, and it's such a side thing, is there's a about halfway through the movie. Have you seen it recently, or 
You've it's seen? been it's been a few years. There's the there's just a, a kind of a, a moment where it shows you a lot of these kind of doomsday guys, and they're kind of yeah. lined up against the wall. It's more like stand up comedians. It's yeah. like, what do you got to say today? What are your jokes today? But it's it's all this stuff about like it's almost like uh, revelation type stuff. It's like yeah. you know the fire will come down and and uh, and the 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 foot of the Lord will stamp out the wicked and you know this kind of thing. But they're like in 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 like long beards and like tattered clothing and they're standing on these pedestals and they've got an audience um, but they're panning the camera's panning from like one to the next to the next and it gets to one and it's very similar to, just in tone to John on the Isle of Pappas mm-hmm. you know the kind of things he might be writing down seeing and writing down and I thought about while I saw that I'd already read a bunch of uh, about satire and about religious satire and I thought well that's kind of a pot shot at that sort of thing but it's not really because well it is but but the way that it's presented is is almost so. Um, it's just it feels the word is slipping, but it just feels real. It feels in context in mm-hmm. a real way. That I'm 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 not looking at Eric Idle or whoever it is doing this bit part. I'm actually seeing a representation of what John on the Isle of Patmos might have looked like and sounded mm-hmm. like to just a person walking by, like yeah. the camera is on this guy. And I think. One of the things I took into that shot was something that I've been reading, which is that satire, religious satire specifically, should make you think about what you believe. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily need to make you doubt, but if it's making you think about what you've always said you believe, but you may have never given a second thought to, you just believe it. Yeah. You've heard it, so you believe it. You heard it from the pulpit, so you just accept it. Um, then that satire, that satire is doing its job. And I'm not saying that Monty Python, when they wrote this scene, w- was thinking about me like 40 years later, 50 years later, whatever it is, um, qu- you know, wanting me to question my faith and have a deeper faith. Yeah. But it, that's kind of what the function of a lot of good religious satire does. It makes you reevaluate the things that you've been saying and maybe hold on to them a little bit stronger because you've now questioned it. Yeah, there's, it's, it's sort of like if somebody insults you, if the insult if the insult is is broad and doesn't really have anything to do with you except maybe it sort of does you're not really sure then you're probably going to dismiss it um, you know if I have somebody who says ah Tyler doesn't know what he's talking about about movies well I do a little bit and so yeah. I hear that person I just think they just don't like the things I say and so screw them however if they say Tyler does not have a deep enough understanding of uh, non-American film. Okay, I'm listening uh, because I think that might actually be a little bit true. Mm-hmm. But what's more, that's some that's something that a person says after having listened to a lot of episodes of of Battleship Pretension or More Than One Lesson, which means they've taken the time to hear me. They've right. taken the time to familiarize themselves with uh, with me, and it's entirely possible there are other things about me that they do like. But in this instance, they really have a problem with me. Right, and it might hurt to hear that, but it also might be a function of oh, I'm hearing the truth. Right, um, or the and and even if I no matter what their intent was, yeah, to hurt you or to help you, yeah, and even if I eventually come to the conclusion of. Actually, I know, you know what? I actually do know more than, than they seem to think I do. It's a conclusion I come to after a thorough self-check. And so 
when you see something like Sausage Party and they make fun of this stuff, but it's in a very broad kind of way and you don't really care about it. Um, well, it's not that you don't care about it, but it's very broad and it kind of shows that they have a general idea of what religion is, but their idea is, is based firmly in their opinion and right. their opinion probably came first. Um, as opposed to something a little bit more incisive, uh, that should make us look at ourselves and look at our belief system and think, okay, hang on now. Why do I believe this? Is this person correct hmm. in their assessment of my beliefs, or at least uh, whether they be the beliefs themselves or the way I hold them? Um, you know, and and it should. I feel like it should shake you a little bit because it rings a little bit true. They know it's. I might make fun of Bill Maher. I might be frustrated with Bill Maher, but I'll say this: when he quotes the Bible at me, and not just a random verse here and there. Uh, but I mean like full on passages mm -hmm. and says like, how do you explain this? That's a guy who's taken the time to, n to at least familiarize himself right. with what I believe. Um, and, and I'm more likely to take that seriously from a satirical standpoint. Right. And you know, the point of satire is to acknowledge something that might be wrong. And mm -hmm. in that moment, it's like, gosh, maybe it is wrong. I'll have to look at this. And, you know, that mixed with laughter, like a, a possible mocking laughter. Oh boy. Right. That's tough. It can really, it can really cut you, you know, to the quick, hopefully. Yeah. I think one of the hard, in, in that vein, in life of Brian, one of the things that kind of, kind of had me thinking hard and I don't. I don't want to say I'm, I was reeling from it, but just because I mean, it's still Life of Brian. It's a, it's a comedy film. Yeah. But uh, there's this sequence in the middle when Brian is becoming a messiah, or the perceived the messiah. Right. Um, when uh, he actually lands on top of one of these guys from jumping from a building, mm -hmm. and so now he's and he's also trying to get away from the Roman soldiers, and so he starts pontificating about stuff, and this is sort of the beginning of his quote-unquote ministry. It's like, mm -hmm. because these people are already standing there listening, and they're going, okay, what you got? And they start questioning him about it, like, what do you mean by that? He's just making up stuff. So yeah. he's, they're like dismantling his ad-libbed, random you know, doctrine. Yeah. And... Uh, but then as soon as the Roman soldiers are gone, he stops his sentence halfway because he knows he can, he can run the other way. Now that he's essentially just stopped in the middle of a sentence, they want to know what he was about to say. Yeah. So, so they follow him. And they're like, what, do you, what, do you, what, were, you, what were you about to say? We kind of like what you were saying. We like talking about this stuff. And before long, it's a mob. And the yeah. movie becomes, that sequence especially, becomes uh, sort of a meditation on mob mentality. Sure. It's like what happens when one guy in a group... Uh, says this and it's a mob and this person over here is like saying something that should be believed or should not be believed. Yeah. Um, it becomes a question of that. And uh, one of the lines uh, that one of the guys says, and this is actually one of the more shrill scenes because they're just yelling this stuff yeah. and it's like, oh, I just can't, all this all this yelling. But it, it, it's funny because it kind of becomes a hard day's night bit where they're mm -hmm. running through the streets of Galilee or Nazareth or wherever they are. Um uh, one of the guys lifts up Brian's shoe that he left behind, says, lift up the shoe, uh, likewise. And another person says, cast off the shoes, follow the gourd, the holy gourd of Jerusalem, because he also <laughs> left behind a gourd. And just like taking these uh, sort of biblical uh, constructs of sentences and applying them to these people who are running after a guy who just wants to get away and be left alone yeah. uh, is funny, but it also calls attention to the fact that that's actually the way people are. Yeah. People actually do, and look at the internet, People actually do 
listen to one guy or have their own opinion and then form groups that are just these shrill, screaming things that say, I am right and you are wrong. Yeah, I got in. And a, I just uh, want to be left alone. I'm, I'm Brian in this, yeah. in this scenario. It's like I just want to throw, throw myself in the pit yeah. and hide forever. Yeah, and, you know, and even then, like, that definitely talks about the way people are religious. Mm-hmm. Um, because let's, even though the, the film is saying that Brian is most definitely not uh, the Messiah, let's say that there are people that actually do follow him and even though they have the opportunity to basically worship his shoe or worship <laughs> his gourd, they have those opportunities, which would mean they have to, they stop where they are and they don't keep actually following him. And that, so they have that temptation, but then they can, but they actually are like, no, 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 I need to follow the actual guy. Right. You know, that actually, that's, that's more inspiring because, uh, you know, I think so many of us, we find the element of faith that appeals to us that will make our life better. And then we reject the more active aspects of faith and, or the parts that don't appeal to us. Um, meanwhile, if, if these people were to continue following the actual Brian, he might actually say something that makes them uncomfortable. Um, but if they kept following, it means that they're more sincere. And I think that's why, but, but here's the thing is, you know what basically we have now uh, in the in the church of brian we have a denomination of the shoe and a denomination I of the it. gourd i love it in the space of 10 seconds you have a mob forming and then you yeah. you have denominations already yeah. i love that and it just and i mean that is such an understanding of human nature and the way mm-hmm. human nature will assert itself even in the midst of trying to be better than human nature right um, which is what religion is right and you know and that's the thing is it's funny it's silly, it's specific, and it's insightful. And smart, yeah. Because That's Monty Python. Even, even as I am laughing, I have the thought of, well, wait a minute, how am I doing that? In what way am I doing that? I got in a fight with somebody on Facebook the other day. Oh, no. Um, about VidAngel once again, mm. um, in which it became very clear that this was a guy who has a wife and several children and he loves movies, and he wants to be able to show movies to his kids without worrying about these things. Now, that being a father and husband is to him like the most important thing he can do in the eyes of God. Well, I am a husband, but I am not a father. I feel like God has called me to be a critic. I feel like movies are important to me, quite possibly in a way that they are not important to this man. Um, and so for me, the idea of, yeah, I may not like a director's inclusion of certain types of content, but if they included it, then they seem to think it was important Mm -hmm. and I can either take or leave the product as a whole, or I can just try to at least try to figure out why this person included it. And, you know, it's all about artist intention and and that sort of thing. I believe now I'm in favor of that because of what I believe believe God has called me to do. This other guy believes this other thing because of what he believes God calls him to do. And so there came a moment when I was just like, 
we're just like two warring factions yep. now, but we're worshiping the same God. Right. But our interpretations have caused us to really go after each other. And so I actually sent him a message and said, you know, hey, I know that I can be a little bit dismissive and I'm sorry about that. When it comes right down to it, we believe the same thing. Yeah. And I'm sorry for those days that I, for that mo- those moments when I forget that. And, you know, it's. So I feel like even just the, the 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 brief scene that you described in Life of Brian is something that that you know satire should make a person think in a deeper way than you know sausage party being like oh you're just accepting these things like hey maybe I am maybe I should just accept what sausage party says and not accept these other things oh right. wait hang on um, and so. And I, there are other examples other than Life of Brian, but I feel like it is almost the, I feel like that might almost be the pinnacle of religious uh, satire. I don't know. No. No? Well, uh, I, I kind of- What do you got? I, well, I narrowed it down from a bunch, and okay. uh, I think that that's obviously the most popular one. It's one that people think of first. I think okay. when they think of religious satire, they think of parody, they think of airplane, they think of religious satire, they think of Life of Brian. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that. Um, but I, I recently watched a movie, actually, I've, I'd seen it before- and in reading about this subject, I came across a title again. I watched it again. It was on my shelf for mm-hmm. years um, called um, The Milky Way. Oh, okay. Yes. And it's uh, Louis Bunuel. Uh, Louis Bunuel? You Luis, tell me. maybe? Luis? Bunuel? I don't know. He's Spanish. So, yeah. Luis, I guess, would be. Anyway, Bunuel. Bunuel. Got the little funny thing on the end. So, it's a Bunuel. Ugh. I'm just going to say Bunuel. Yeah, that's um, all heard it. But he he made it in '69, uh, shot it in '68, and it's uh, I don't understand the movie. Have you seen this movie? No. It's a movie. Here's the basic. Wait a minute. You're telling me that there is a Bunuel film out there that you don't understand. I know, right? It's not easy to comprehend. It's not transparent. You're and blowing easy. my mind. Yeah. Well, the, uh, of them, uh, this is. Because it's so specific to a very uh, specific set of religious ideas, Catholic religious ideas, mm-hmm. to boot, um, it's it's obscure to me. Obscure object of desire? Sure. No. Um, but it, he based the movie on two things specifically. One is a movie that he loved growing up called, or that he just loved, I don't know when it came out, called the Saragossa Manuscript, which this provided this the the template for the structure of the film. It's a movie about a guy who, the Saragossa manuscript about a guy who finds a book reading the book. Uh, it goes back. The movie itself flashes back to the book. So it becomes about the book. And then in that story, somebody's telling a story. So it just keeps these layers and layers and layers of story keep happening. And then it works its way back up. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like inception. And, uh, from that he got, he decided he would do this movie where it was about two travelers, it's a super simple story uh, about two travelers on the road to St. James, which is this pilgrimage that people take from anywhere in Europe, basically, um, to Santiago, Spain, where supposedly the the bones of St. James are hmm. stored. Stored? Is that the right word? Do you store bones? Sure. You, you uh, can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So keep them. Uh, preserve them. There you go. There preserved. Go. His, his bones are preserved in Santiago. So anyway, all these people are traveling. It's like hundreds of years these people are doing this. And so that's that's the story of the of the movie. So these guys, but along the way, of course, this great template for just hanging scenes and mm-hmm. tangents and whatnot. Um, these guys end up meeting different people along the way who represent heresies as described in the other 
uh, source material, which is some obscure book called, might not be so obscure, I don't know nothing, anything about what I'm talking about really, um, called uh, The Dictionary of Heresies. Hmm. It's a Catholic tome where it essentially lists out all the different ways that you should not worship God. Yeah. And so these guys along the way are kind of going back in time. Uh, it's fascinating how Boonwell does it yeah. in very simple ways, but they, they go back in time. Uh, they might appear in like the fourth century alongside one of these priests that are like doing one of these heresies and you see the heresy, you see how, and it's presented all very frankly. Uh, I mean that in a 1969 kind of way. So it's not like a, there is some nudity, but it's, it's more like frankly, emotionally mm-hmm. where, um, it's not over the top like Life of Brian, like so much of it is, or like an airplane, a parody would be. It's more like you're just getting a vignette of how this stuff is happening or how it would have happened. But through the eyes of like a modern audience, it becomes like, wow, that's odd. Um, and one particular stroke of genius, uh, some of these guys, a couple of these guys who are like shouting heresies at, uh, are actually more sensible things to a group of heretics are uh, running away from the law of the time and they find the clothes of the guys from the future or from our present time who are swimming out in the, uh, in the lake. They take their clothes and steal them t- to hide themselves from the mob coming after them and they then become the modern guys. Yeah. And so they're now in the, in the present time. So then they experience certain things in a very straight face. It's like, oh, we belong here. Yeah. And now we're experiencing life as these guys. So all that sort of like, uh, kind of like dressing that make you enjoy the movie in, in a different kind of way. But what Boonwell is doing in a way that almost requires, and it did require for me, a lot of internet research, a lot of Wikipedia, um, to figure out exactly what these scenes are about. But he's taking uh, religious ideas, presenting them in a way that is exactly like we're talking about, where it's, it's the way people have taken a belief in a very... Uh, uh, central perfect thing mm-hmm. which is god or christ the holy spirit the trinity uh or in the catholic faith mary yeah you know and how they've completely twisted things into a dogma and we haven't really talked about dogma which is funny enough because it's a terrible movie and a yeah. terrible satire different conversation um but what boonwell is doing and what he's doing so well is dismantling the way that religion is perverted or belief is perverted through religion, through institutions. And I invite anyone to watch the movie, even without knowing exactly what's going on or why this set of characters is doing this thing and watch how much Boonwell, who is an atheist, he grew up devout Jesuit, taught by the Jesuits, lost his faith somewhere along the way, become a staunch uh, atheist, but somehow hung on to a fascination or a love for religion itself or for belief itself, yeah. I should say. And he's incorporated into this travel movie that goes back and forth in time uh, a sincerity about people who believe. There's a scene where one of these guys uh, takes a rosary and hangs it on a, a branch and shoots it with his gun because he just detests the idea of, of that dogma, that, yeah. that's structure of religion or belief uh and then a couple of scenes later he sees he has his own vision of mary who hands him back the rosary and he takes the rosary from this vision of mary and he begins to weep and then later at the end he's talking to a priest about it and he he breaks down he's like in a state of awe about what he's seen 
and it's not played for laughs or mockery or yeah. satire at all. It's this person's conversion. It's basically a conversion experience inside the movie made by an yeah. atheist, and it's treated in a way that is it's not it's not over the top in any kind of way from a atheist point of view or from a believer's point of view. And that's what Boonwell, who Boonwell was at the time. He had already made all these religious satires in the 60s, like four or five of them, that are some more scathing than, than the others about the church. But this one is like this gentle, wise man's mm-hmm. version of taking apart religion. And it's wonderful. Let me see if I can find... Um, I wrote this, and maybe this can be sort of a, a wrap-up of that. I, okay. it, it's worth a much longer conversation. I thought a lot more about it. But... Um, Boonwell is a man who devalued rationality as an absurdist. We should say that he started off his career as, an, as a surrealist. Mm-hmm. And so much surrealism and absurdist sort of thought has yeah. gone into even this movie. Um, Boonwell is a man who devalued rationality, so any rational explanation of God would be mocked. Only an absurdist approach to an absurd topic could generate truth. And in Milky Way, the Milky Way, he achieves not only deconstruction of religion, but a defense of individual spiritual enlightenment. In his case, it wouldn't be necessarily belief in God, but it would be just basically balancing your scales of sorts. Um, Not God per se, but balance. And I think that's what makes the movie so good and makes it a superior satire is the fact that inside of all this, and and I failed to mention real quickly, I failed to mention just that um, there are flashbacks to the life of Christ as depicted in the Bible yeah. using the exact quotes of God or of Jesus and of his disciples and in a very in a way that as I was reading about it later Boonwell wanted to present the kind of Christ that he would want to believe in the divinity of no. rather than the Christ that's depicted in let's say, American versions of The the Greatest Story Ever Told right. or those kind of movies where he's the solemn Max von Sydow version where everything is solemn and um, it's pretentious in a way. And there's no way that a person walked the earth, divine or not, that would be followed by people who acted the way that those Christs or those actors depicted Christ or those yeah. directors wanted the actor to depict Christ I should say and so he has Jesus running around and laughing and kind of ribbing the guys he's hanging around because he would be that way those, these are his friends yeah. and you watch these scenes and it really does do what satire does in the most pure way um, from a non-believer you're seeing vignettes of the Christ that you would want to hang around with and listen to and be friends with and follow and it's beautiful. It's beautiful coming from a guy that you know doesn't actually believe this stuff. And I, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Go seek out the movie, watch it with Wikipedia in hand, and uh, enjoy it. And it makes me wonder, um, you know, and I guess we're getting kind of very much to the, the core of satire here, is that, you know, what you've, what you've described just now is a guy who has rejected this belief system and is looking to satirize it and, and not necessarily make fun of it. The two don't necessarily mean the same thing, but to poke fun at it at least. Um, but also seems to sincerely be interested in why someone would want to do this. Exactly. Now, let me ask you this, Robert, Fire Hornack, away. Robert Henry Hornack. What? I know. I, I don't, I don't remember your middle name. Alan. Alan, Robert Allen Hornack. Ra. R-A-H. Um, 
I'm scared, do by the you, way. Do you think that satire is absent of sincerity? Because no, it not. seems to me... I don't even have to think about that. ...that when I think of satire, like, just the 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 automatic thoughts that I have, you know, strange love, wag the dog, that kind sure. of thing. It seems like satire is born of a fair amount of, of condemnation. And to sincerely try to see why someone might believe something, why someone might do something, why somebody might be a part of a certain institution, whatever it might be, um, is to suddenly take some of the bite of satire away. Um, so that it's not quite as effective as if it uh, is just condemnation. No, I feel like I feel like satire. When I my initial thought of it is that it is pure condemnation, and if you bring in a sincere desire to understand somebody else, um, and can and because I think if you do that, you're looking to connect with somebody, and I think that might lessen the satire to such a degree that it could be seen as n- as uh, non-satirical. Well, I don't know about that. Um, but I, I will say this, that um, a lot of what I read about satire, I keep saying satire, I mean satire. Um, part of the definition, definitionally satire presupposes a norm. Okay. In other words, the people that are making the satire, whatever their intent is, have an idea of what should be, what is right. Yeah. And now they're going to present to you how other people are doing it all wrong. Okay. And inside of that are all kinds of attitudes from the Ricky Gervais type that we've described, which right. may or may not be correct. But that's just our impression yeah. to the Monty Python, which is uh, coming from a more intellectual point of view to the yeah. Louis Bunuel, which is a very gentle, more of a gentle uh, circumspect sort of uh, approach. Um, but the best satire, I think, is the kind that may be condemning from a norm, a normative point of view, yeah. but it also wants to redeem something. It wants to change something. Yeah. It wants to help you uh, to see why the way you're thinking might be destructive. That's Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. That's the epitome of that kind of thing is Dr. Strangelove. But um, I guess there's, what is, oh shoot. I seem to recall a lot of people sort of cite this as like one of the first instances of satire, which is, and now I can't think of it. Jonathan Swift, I believe. Um, it's an essay about eating babies, eating poor babies. Uh, uh, I don't remember the name of it. Something like a, uh, a simple solution or a tale of a tub. That's the one I have listed for Jonathan Swift. Oh, that's not it. Um, Bellover's travels, of course. Oh, that, uh, that's going to bother me tremendously. I don't know this. Um, it sounds gruesome. Oh, I'm going to have to actually look it up. <laughs> Do it. While you're doing that, let me read this because it, it kind of trails what I was saying. Kind of a thought I wrote down. Satire is not uh, good satire if its chief aim is to ridicule. This is what you were, kind of what you were saying. If its chief aim is to ridicule or simply just to condemn, to use your word, um, rather than reform. So satire is not good satire. This is just my opinion. Satire is not good satire if its chief aim is to ridicule rather than to reform. Um, for instance, Boonwell's Milky Way seems to want to kind of reform some people's way of thought, um, which treats uh, ridic- aim is to ridicule rather than to reform, uh, which treats uh, Milky Way treats the contradictions of faith uh, as spurs to a more vital faith. He mocks institutions and conventions and laziness of mind, but not necessarily the doctrines, truths themselves. 
um, a character who mocks Mary. Uh, come, yeah, that's just the part where. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So the the idea that uh, the condemnation, if it's simply just to condemn, yeah, uh, it might not be so great or or helpful to anyone. But if it's condemnation with the side, if you will, of I just want to. I I really do want a, a better way. I think that if I mock mercilessly, but I but I present some version that might be better for you and I'm not judging you while I'm doing that. It's, it's a, it's a, obviously it's a fine line to walk if you're a satirist yeah. um, or if you're a filmmaker wanting to, to write or direct a satire. It's like, how do you do that? It's an alchemy that I don't quite understand from that perspective. But when I see it, like when I see the Milky Way, I see perfection. I see somebody walking that line perfectly. Let me, let me, uh, it was called a modest proposal, by the way. There you go. Um, let me suggest this. That perhaps bad satire is when the satirist says, you guys need to be more like me. A good satire is, you guys need to be better versions of you. Because mm. um, when I look at Sausage Party, when I look at Ricky Gervais, I think they just think I need to be them. Uh, more like them, if not them completely. Whereas when I look at Life of Brian and stuff, it's basically saying like, yes, we want you to question these beliefs so that you can be a better, it might mean you reject them, but you at least are not going to just accept something willy nilly. Right. You're not going to accept it casually. We are not going to let that happen. We want this to be a better world and we need people to, who take the, you know, who take their beliefs seriously, regardless of what they are. Yeah. Um, and oddly enough, the best way to get somebody to take somebody, take something seriously is to make a joke out of it. Sure. Um, you know, because they're like, no, it's not funny. Okay, tell me why. Why is it not funny? You need to convince me that it's not funny. Yeah, I, I, I like to think about this in the context, and this can be kind of a wrap-up if you want. Sure. Um, bringing it back to, let's bring it back to God, shall we? Sounds good. Um, no, the, the idea that Jesus spoke in parables, mm -hmm. that Jesus told stories. And it's not the same kind of satire that we're thinking of. It's kind of a stretch to think about the certain parables as... Okay. A satire, but at the same time, if you think about, and these are the two that I thought of, um, if you think about the publican and the Pharisee praying, mm -hmm. and they're both praying, and the Pharisee is saying, "I'm so good, thank God for making me so good," yeah. and the Pharisee and the publican is saying, "My life is worthless before you, God. Please rescue me from my sin," and he goes on his way weeping. Um, it's not satire until you realize that he was saying that story, was telling that story in front of Pharisees. Yeah. And then you think, he's, he's trying to make a point, he's kind of getting the poor people, if you will, or the publicans in the crowd on his side, and they're probably laughing, because yeah. they see, you know, 20 feet away, they see a Pharisee who's also hearing this, and it's like, stick it to him, Jesus, um, <laughs> without realizing that he's telling a story about them as well. Yeah. And the Pharisees, meanwhile, are like, how dare he? Um, yeah. But the more sensitive Pharisee might go, you know, he's right. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of have overinflated what I think about yeah. Scripture and my place in the world. There's room for change. Yeah. It's not full-on condemnation. Right. It's condemnation maybe of action. Right. Uh, as opposed to a person. And similarly, I think of the, uh, the woman who, who gives only the, like the one shekel or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. She gives it. Meanwhile, the other person's giving everything he has. Well, she gave all, all she She gave more because she gave everything she had. Yeah. And he, again, he's saying this in front of people who could condemn him for those kind of things and saying it from the perspective of, 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 if you will, forgive me, but of a Louis Bunuel type who's, yeah. who's wanting to kind of gently chide you into rethinking 
the way you think about things. And that to me is like, it's not the same kind of satire that we've been talking about, maybe because film is a bigger thing. It has to go from, you know, it has to tell a 90 minute story or whatever, but, but it's the same thing in terms of, so let's go ahead and say it. Jesus invented satire. Sure. I'm kidding. Um, but it is, it's a version of it that we can, that we can apply to our own lives. Yeah. I think that's, that? I think that's the important thing. Like if you are a religious person and we'll just say Christian, if you're, if you're a Christian and you go and see something that is, you know, religiously satirical to go back to our uh, phrase mm-hmm. earlier, um, you know, you might be inclined to kind of get defensive but I would say where examine where that defensiveness comes from. It could be because you know this person is mischaracterizing you and maybe mischaracterizing your belief system. Or it could be from a place of conviction. It could be from a, from a place like, you know what, I think they got me. I <laughs> think they have nailed me. I am the guy who I'm not following Jesus, I'm following the shoe he left behind, <laughs> you know? And, you know, I don't like the idea, I, I don't like the idea of limiting God. God can use anything. He can use a Boonwell film. He can use uh, uh, Life of Brian. And yes, he can even use Sausage Party um, to, to convict us and make us better Christians. That doesn't necessarily make the thing itself good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I do feel like the better the art is, the often the more specific thing it will touch in you. Yeah. And uh, whatever, whether it be, you know, satire or otherwise. So here's my final wrap up. Final wrap up from something Robert I wrote, Henry Hornack. And it's always something I wrote because I write better than I speak. Um, some might say it's better to attack mistakes, deficiencies of the church with programs or politics or education, basically to take them seriously as a first step and to treat them as a second step. But maybe there's something to a step before even that. Maybe a step that calls attention to them in the first place. Maybe there's something to be said for letting the, quote, other side call attention to them for us. They do a good job of it. The way the church fails uh, are so obvious, it's not for us to say that these inconsistencies shouldn't be called out by those they affect directly or indirectly. Um... We can, take, uh, we can look at the art created by people who are very much in the non-believing camp and read it as a sort of cry for help. And I go on somewhere else with that. But then the idea is, uh, I don't think they're out to destroy so much as to mock. It's an, e- it's an easy target, we are. Basically, the, the yeah. failing church is an easy target. Some can't resist, meaning some filmmakers can't resist. And some of those have actual skill at doing it. The razor is wielded by someone who knows how to do it. And there's no reason why we shouldn't listen to them. You know, you said the razor is is wielded, and I I'm thinking in terms of good satire and bad sa- satire. Mm-hmm. You know, good I'd say bad satire is just diagnosing the problem and saying, "All right, see you later." And I think the best satire is the kind that says, "Here's your problem, and I will present a solution," um, or I will at least acknowledge there is a solution. Right. Um, and yeah, and that is. Uh, you know, we need to understand what the problem is before we go about trying to fix the problem. And that's what satire can do, even in the church. I know we all believe the church is 100% perfect, right? I'm being sarcastic. Uh, you know, so anything that can bring you closer to God, yes, 
even mockery, the mockery of others, if it actually convicts you, follow that conviction. You don't have to agree with this person 100%, but you can acknowledge when it's like, oh, they might have a point. And, you know, and it, anything that brings you closer to God um, in a sincere and real way, I think is something that is, uh, regardless of how the person might mean it, something that, that has been redeemed. So, okay. Well said. Thank you. We will leave it there. Um, this was a lot of fun. I hope everybody goes and sees uh, Life of Brian and uh, the, Milky the Milky Way. Way. Um, or any other uh, Boonwell movie. Absolutely. Uh, or any other non-sausage party film. <laughs> um, and I will actually take the time to mention that we do have a, a bonus episode that is available for, I don't remember how much, $3, I think? I don't recall. Um, and it is Josh and I talking about Kevin Smith's Dogma. Oh, wow. So that is available to listen to, uh, provided, you know, it costs money. I, so, I want to listen to that, so I will pay. You know what? You just earned it. You earned it. Wow. With this, with this episode. Good job, Robert. Thank you so much. So, okay. Was fun. Everybody, uh, feel free. If you have any questions or thoughts, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can tweet at me, at More Lessons. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, and I think that is about it. Uh, oh, and, and of course, you can also uh, leave comments on this particular episode. Uh, we'd love to know what you think, uh, because this is a topic that uh, can be that we could talk about for a lot longer than we just did. And I say that knowing that we just talked about it for a long time. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear your feedback in the meantime. Uh, thank you for listening, Robert. Thank you so much for being here. You got it. We'll get you next time. Bye.